and welcome to the Niche Podcast for Friday, November 2nd, 2012. I'm Jonathan Stark. I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere. On this week's show, debugging mod rewrite, securing PHP installations, making Apache directory listings mobile-friendly, and who really owns the data in a social application? Please stand by. The Niche Podcast is next. Hello? Hello. So quiet over there today. Uh, I didn't change anything as far as I know. Must be that new desk. Must be. Is this any better? Huh? Oh, no, not too quiet. It's, I'm just, there's no background noise or anything. It's just really... Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I got a I got a hard drive turning away on the desk here. Hopefully it doesn't it doesn't pick up too much vibration or anything from it. Yeah, I can't hear it. Good. Excellent. So so speaking of sound, before we even get started, I uh, discovered that there's a setting inside of Skype that controls how loud I hear your volume. That's independent of the volume on my computer and affects the recording. Really? Yeah. I've- I've never seen it. Where is it? Where's it hidden at? In the uh, in the audio video panel of Skype, I've got um, control over. It says control over the volume, but it it wasn't clear to me that it was control over your volume. I assumed it was control over my volume. Oh, I thought it was mine too. And it affects the uh, the actual recording. So I, I last week I discovered that, and um, that was helpful. And I also got some advice from our dear listener who had me com- uh, normalize both of our tracks and then compress them after the fact. And I think people who haven't heard last week's episode will notice that it's much more consistent and louder. Uh, awesome. Evenly. So so uh, it's it's only taken us, uh, What is the, this is our 30th episode. Yeah, this is number 30. Nice. So it's only taken me 30 episodes to figure out how to make a <laughs> two-person <laughs> conversation sound listenable and bearable. <laughs> In a in a bachelor bachelor of music degree. <laughs> yeah. What what school did you go to? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it'd be much of an advertisement for them if I told you. <laughs> but sound recording was not my major, so. No, you were you were making the music, not recording it. Exactly. So maybe I should have taken a couple of elective courses. <laughs> of course, there was no such thing as podcasting back then. Yeah. Didn't even have yeah, all the all the mixing and everything was. Well, I mean, I, I guess it was. You know, you're not you're not that old, but. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that old. It was on tape, and it was. This is about. Uh, when I was in college, it was about three years before anybody I knew had a cell phone. Oh, okay. We had color TV. You're um you're you're older than me than I more. <laughs> I mean, I, I knew you were older than me, but I didn't think you were that much older than me. <laughs> yeah. Getting up there. But as my father says, it's better than the alternative. Yes, it is. So we chatted a little bit before the show, and we've got a uh, couple things to talk about today, including not one, but two and perhaps three bug reports. Um, yes. I have a really simple one, so maybe I'll start off. 
Okay, yeah, mine are mine are simple too. So okay, cool. So uh, I was really I was the other day I was I don't know where I was, but I didn't have uh, my computer out for some reason. Generally, never too far from my uh, 11-inch MacBook Air, but I I I don't know where I was. But anyway, I had my uh, iPad 3, and that has um, what's it called Diet Coda on it, mm-hmm. which is an application from Panic that uh, allows you to uh, SSH into and edit files on your iPad. So you're on your iPad, you launch this app and you can connect over SFTP or, or a variety of different protocols to your web server or whatever server. And it just has a killer, um, text editing interface. There's like great options for selecting text and great keyboard shortcuts and you can customize the keyboard. And, uh, in fact, it's, it's the one app. I think when I first saw this app, I, I said on Twitter that, uh, it's the first application I've seen that could, I could imagine using my iPad full time uh, right. as a computing, as a, my real computer. And yeah. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Coda on the desktop, but Diet Coda sounds awesome. Yeah. It's perfect for, I agree. I, I, I'm not the type of person that would like Coda on the desktop. It's nice, but I'm just not the type. Right. And, uh, but Diet Coda is like. It's amazing. It's it's really really well done. Uh, and so I was like, oh cool. I'm I am going to now that I've got my my blog all set up to with Margot, and it just I just need to create a markdown file in there. And I had this idea, and I was on the iPad, and I was like, well, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna make a I'm gonna blog right now. <laughs> Look at me go. And so um, I blogged about. Uh, uh, creating fancy Apache indexes for my website, which we'll talk about a little later. But, um, so I did the, I, I did the blog post and I saved the file and then, uh, it was super easy. And I just, you know, went over to Safari and I saw the file listed in my, like the top level of my blog that just lists, you know, post after post after post. Yeah. Uh, it was there, but then I would click on it. It would get a 404. So I was like, Oh geez, I must not be able to parse the file. Um, Maybe the permissions got set weird because I've never edited a file with Diacoda. And I, in fact, in fact, created it from scratch using Diacoda. So I was like, well, I would have thought that it would inherit the, the you know, user group that I used to log in. But let me check. And, and sure enough, it didn't appear to have any, the settings were like blank. If you looked at the, if you looked at the, you know, read, write access stuff. Mm-hmm. So I filled it out like the other ones, which Diacoda allows you to do. And in fact, Diacoda also allows you to SSH into the server, like, and just have a regular command prompt. So it's totally awesome. Uh, so I go through and I check it every different way that I can. And I'm like, no, it's not, it's not that. It still doesn't work. Um, and of course, as soon as I put the file in my uh, directory, it's like live in my RSS feed. So now I've got people right. on Twitter that are like, your page is 404-ing. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that, I, I can't understand how this is possible with Margo. So, <laughs> so yeah, right. If it's right. not, a, if it's not a permissions thing, like what? Yeah. How can it, how can it read the file to put it in the directory list and not be able to display it? Yeah. You ready for this one? The blog post had the word index in the title. Oh, and my, and the Margo HT access file looks for anything that doesn't have index in the title to silently redirect it to index.php. <laughs> oh, so I was, I, I don't know if I was getting, I wasn't getting an infinite loop. It just couldn't find, I don't know. It was doing something weird. You know how hard it is to debug like HT access files, but yeah. Um, 
So I just updated the htaccess file in Margo to look for index.php, and that fixed it. So if anybody nice. out there is using Margo, dear listener, if you're using Margo, update that file. <laughs> or don't name any blog posts with the word index. Right. So that was one of those. So, but I guess now that I know that, uh, I'm like, wow, I can super easily blog from any device. Like I, I yeah. could, I could like log into, I could SSH into my server and just like vim up a markdown file in that directory and be off to the races. Yeah. Now we need to need to set up a Twilio app so that we can, you can just phone <laughs> in and, and talk to it. It'll spit out a markdown file. I like it. I'm liking it. <laughs> there are some cool, I wonder, I wonder if I've flirted with the idea of audio boo or SoundCloud and doing like, mm -hmm. uh, just blogging quick thoughts as I have them, but I'm, uh, I'm kind of concerned that it would catch on and I'm afraid of like <laughs> wanting to delete them later, you know, like a little mini blogs. Yeah. Or even taking snippets out of this blog and posting them on SoundCloud or somewhere else as like a little, little snippets kind of, uh, you know, snippets from the podcast. Yeah, I mean, it usually when I'm editing, it usually breaks down into pretty clear sections, and and you know, there's no, I'm not aware of any good way to set chapter markers, and I would love to do that so that people, you know, we could link directly into a, a, a conversation so that the poor the poor dear listener doesn't have to suffer through the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's one of the things I don't like about the audio format is that it's not directly addressable. Uh, it's right. just this giant chunk. Yeah, yeah. It you can't skip ahead to, yeah, you know, unless you have, like you said, tracks or chapter marks or something like that. Yeah, there's some affordance for this with the um, uh, HTML5 audio tag. I should look into that. There's like a track element that you can add. Mm -hmm. I should look into that because it does it does allow you to. It basically allows you to. Um, uh, what's the word? It's like. It's well. It's for video, actually. Now that I think of it, because it's for closed captioning or whatever you call it. Yeah. Closed captioning, uh, so that you can. Um, uh, what's it called? Subtitle. So you can subtitle stuff. Right. And uh, that would be that would be really cool, actually. So I'll, I'll look into that. I think it might just be for video. But I guess it'd be for audio too, because if someone couldn't hear, then what would be the point of an audio podcast? But if it had subtitles, <laughs> then. Yeah, it could work, you know, trend, have audio transcriptions or transcriptions of your audio. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know, yeah. I know Karen McGreen does, she she gets all of her stuff transcribed. Yeah, I know I know all of Railscast is transcribed too. I, I don't know if it's done by hand or, hmm. or how it's done. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she uses Odesk. To, mm. She just hires someone. Right. So, huh, we should look into that. I, I like that idea a lot. So anyway, so that was uh, um, that was my little my little bug report about the HTX. Yet another HTX access yes. bug, two weeks in a row. <laughs> and you mentioned you had a PHP config issue. Is that uh, worth covering? Yeah, it was. It was really weird. Um, as you know, last week during the AWS outage, we had to scramble to set up a couple of new servers. Mm-hmm. And in the process of doing so, uh, I was setting up PHP on uh, Ubuntu 12.04. Uh, okay. Or maybe it's 12.06, whatever it is, whatever the latest latest Ubuntu is. Uh, I, you know, I was installing PHP, and I don't think it's, it's, you know, it's not the newest version. I think it's like 5.3.6. Uh, 
uh, you know, whatever, whatever the latest one is in the uh, Ubuntu package manager. Uh-huh. And after I installed that, um, I installed the, uh, the Suhosin, I guess that's how you pronounce it, the Suhosin patch you know, that gives you the, the extra encryption and, and uh, for like, like cookie encryption and things like that. Oh, I hadn't, I'm not aware of that. Oh, um, yeah, it's, uh, I'll have to link to it in the show notes. It's something like hardenphp.org or something. It's a, uh, it's a security patch for PHP that gives you some additional encryption and secures some, uh, just some, some things in PHP that are left open and it just kind of locks everything down a little more. Oh, cool. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff like, I don't know, I don't even remember anymore, but there's a bunch of stuff like by default it was set to use like what was that like auto globals or something yeah yeah <coughs> magic quotes and globals and yeah magic like quotes yeah. right right magic quotes Ugh. um but yeah anyway that's it's a it's a pretty popular commonly used uh php security patch once i did that i had a run into a problem with it that i've never encountered before because usually i go in i install this i i patch it and i i never have another issue out of it but with this, I found that uh, I was getting error messages, 500 errors from the server, and it turns out that the um, Suhosin was limiting limiting the amount of of get and post data that can be sent in in like request variables hmm. to just a just a ridiculously low amount. Yeah. Where I was, you know, I was I like I would I would post like a name, an email address, maybe a short message, like tweet length type message. And it was like, oh, nope, that's too much data. Weird. Yeah, and I've, I've never ran into that before. And I, I don't know if there was a bug where something wasn't getting read properly. You know, maybe the, maybe the defaults weren't being read properly because I can't imagine them intentionally being set that low. Mm-hmm. But anyway, just, just going into the Shihosin config file and, and manually upping the limits took care of it. But it was just—it was just really weird that it would be so insanely low by default. Yeah, man, that reminds me of back in the day. I used to when I did PHP all the time. It was pretty common to have to up your memory limit for a particular yeah. page for long-running processes and stuff. Yeah. But that's really weird. I mean, get and post. That's. Uh, I mean, presumably they're just like they force you to go in and up it, so you're aware of it. But maybe, maybe it's bug. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, like I said. Uh, I've I've installed it in the past, on and I've never, never had an issue with it. But I've I've never been running. You know, I think my other I think my other servers that I run are still like five point three point two or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's a I don't know if it's an issue with the newer version of PHP or if it's something specific to that uh, that version of of um, Suhosin or you know. Or, or yeah, you know, like it could be a bug. It could just be a really low default. But right. if it's if it's if it's low by default, then it's you know it's ridiculously low. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you took it a little too far there. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So that was that was my my main issue yesterday, and you know, like I said, it was a simple fix. It just made me maybe stop and go, what? Why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the worst. <laughs> so, I, so I since I already mentioned, we've got a couple of other things to talk about, but since I already mentioned the fancy indexes, uh, that's a fun one, and it actually does um, relate to our overarching theme of apps that run everywhere. 
uh, in sort of a responsive design kind of way. Mm-hmm. So when I uh, migrated my my blog off of WordPress and onto Margot, I was like, um, uh, you know, I styled, you know, everything was like styled up real nice, and you know, it's, or at least matching, because that was one of the things that didn't that didn't match previously, because I had this local install of WordPress and the source HTML was so different than all the other pages on my site that I was like, hmm, should I move my whole blog, uh, my whole site into WordPress as pages? No. Um, so should I style, try and style the WordPress HTML like my site? No, I've done that before and it's brutal. Uh, you just can't do it. Yeah. And it's so, a pain. Yeah, it's, it's it's rough. And then you forget and you make tiny changes to your main site and then you like go to your blog and, you, and, and your blog like doesn't two change. pixels yeah. off and you're like, ah. Yeah. So, so when I finally moved everything over to Margo, it was sweet because I could use the same CSS for everything. But I still, there are a couple of places on my site that are just, just raw Apache directory listings. Like I've got this, mm-hmm. um, this uh, slash labs where I just dump all of my example files. And like, I'm like, hmm, I wonder if, I wonder if this works. And I'll, you know, work up a quick file. Right. And I almost always need them again later to either email as an answer to someone or, or I forget what I learned and I go, I want to go back and check it out. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, I have a similar folder in my, on my web server. Yeah. So it was like, so it was just an ugly white page with blue Apache default index text and uh, index like directory listing or whatever. Right. And it's just those icons are so butt. And I was like, ah. I'm like, I wonder if there's a way I can just replace the icon. So I'm, I'm thinking like, I want to style this up. So it at least looks a little nicer. And, and also when I use it, on the phone it's like zoomed way out yeah and a lot of the test files are are phone specific you know like what happens when you know what happens when this app is launched as a home screen full screen web app from the home screen or you know if you just run it mobile safari versus chrome and i want to try it on all these different browsers and every time i have to go to the next phone i go to labs i have to double click to zoom in it's like it's it's just ugly and i know a lot of i know i have a lot of traffic in there so right yeah so um, I was like, there's got to be a way to style these things. So I'm, I'm looking around the Apache documentation, which I, as much as, you know, as much as I like Apache and I use it for everything, the docs are just brutal, just brutal. So, I'm, you know, but I'm Googling around and it turns out it's actually, uh, this, you can do things like, you could do tons of things actually. Um, you can inject HTML into the head of the document that gets generated. You can insert uh, like footer HTML, you can do all sorts of things, but uh, the, <laughs> that you can replace the icons, all this stuff. Um, but then, uh, you know, I, after looking at it a bit, I was like, you know what? The easiest, all I really want to do, the HTML was fine. Like yeah. I, I was like, I can work with the HTML source. I just want to style it. So um, I went in, and uh, it's actually really simple, which is sweet. You just put in uh, in your htaccess file in the directory that you want to firm up. And you can even do it. I actually, in fact, did it at the, at the root level of my website. And it works on all right. of the, you know, cascades down. Right, right. Yeah, it's just a three-liner. You do like, uh, if you don't already have indexes enabled, you just do options, space, plus indexes. Mm-hmm. And, and then index, options, ignore case. And I, I <coughs> don't understand why that needs to be in there, but it does. There's a bunch of different index options you can put in. Um, and in fact, one of them is called fancy index, which is a different, different than what I'm talking about. It does like, it allows you to sort by different columns and stuff. 
Yeah, that see that's what I was that's what I was thinking of when you first said fancy index because I have used that before. Yeah, that is a that is a, tech, a technically an Apache thing. Um, but so so I, you just go index options and you put in ignore case and for whatever reason that triggers a specific kind of uh, HTML source mm-hmm. that is a huge unordered list with like bulleted items that are you know all the files and directories. And then oh, you. Nice. Can, yeah, and then I just you just do this thing, index, head, insert, all one word, space, and then in parentheses I put in a style sheet link. And that Oh wow. Yeah, it's awesome. You just it just inserts a style sheet link into the head of the document <coughs> and you just go to town on your index file. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's like super easy. So you can't Yeah, I've had I've had a couple instances where I've I've actually chosen to, to go with Apache over Nginx. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for a while I was I don't know, I don't know how I feel about it. I, there's things about Nginx that I really like. But on the other hand, uh, with a couple of the APIs we've done, we ran into some some areas where we've had problems with it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you remember, we had one in particular that we're working on, and passenger would uh, it would hang up, or it would crash, or it would restart, or mm-hmm. I, I forget now exactly what it was, but yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, though. yeah, I remember it would lock up, it would lock up everything. We have to go in and restart the instance. Yep. So, but since switching since switching to Apache um, with Passenger, that's that's not been an issue. Hmm. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I don't know. I don't don't. This is obviously Apache only type of thing. I don't know how it would work elsewhere. But uh, so I was like stoked about that. So I could just like you know insert that and then style it as I wished. I suppose you know theoretically I could add JavaScript in there too and have JavaScript execute on the page on load. You can include whatever you want in the head. So. Mm-hmm. You could probably rewrite everything and make it look however you wanted without having a dork around with, um, you know, Apache sort of because Apache stuff is pretty like arcane. Yeah, it's a lot nicer to just be dealing with CSS and JavaScript. But the other thing I did, I was like, you know, I had this all working and I'm like, oh sweet, it's like it doesn't look exactly like the rest of my site, but it's got the same fonts, the same color scheme, and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I saw it. It, it matches quite well. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's not bad. And uh, it's way better. But the, the bonus point is that I you, I also inserted um, a viewport meta tag. So, ah, yes. Yeah, so if you open it on a phone or, you know, a small screen device, it is zoomed appropriately, which is just... Yeah, that's that's much nicer. Yeah, it's so much nicer. So that was it's just a, a three-liner for you if you're using Apache. Um, well, like, I did a little blog post about it. In fact, this was the blog post that that caused the, uh, you know, I called it fancy <laughs> Apache indexes, and that was the 404 one. You're, you're causing all kind, discovering all kinds of Apache <laughs> things, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, yeah. dealing with, like, it's it's rough dealing with Apache, uh, with Apache config. It's really not, it's not intuitive. Uh, oh, oh, speaking of which, and you were talking about the rewrite issues you were having. Mm-hmm. Also in that Apache config, you can turn on the rewrite log, which will log every, you know, every URL rewrite that that the server does. Oh my God! I can't believe I didn't know that. Yeah, it's like it's not something you want to leave on in production, but it's great for debugging. Oh, that's that years. I would be two years younger if I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I discovered it about six months ago. Like, where have you been for the last eight years of my life? <laughs> Will you marry me? Rewrite Apache log. <laughs> wow, that's great. <laughs> so yeah, 
I'll be looking into that. Yeah, it's. I think it's. I think it's. It's something fairly obvious, like rewrite log, is the directive yeah, in the re- Apache. Re- rewrite log on. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it is. Yeah. And then you set a path for it. Yeah, that's where you want the log. That's the thing with Apache and PHP is that it's like if you could possibly think of something you might want or need, it's there somewhere. Yeah. Like this stuff has been around for so long. So that's awesome. Uh, we'll definitely link to that. We'll link to all this stuff in the show notes, The how to do the, uh, the uh, CSS fancy Apache indexes. Yeah, we've got quite a few little technical things to link to this time. Yeah. Cool beans. Well, there was another thing I uh, I teased last week, which was jumping back to talk about the um, Moodly API. Yes, yes. I want to hear your opinion on that because you said you had had given some thought about how we're we're rendering different response types based on based on what we're getting in the uh, in the request header rather than having a, a separate API. Right. So yeah. So so you know Kelly had 48 hours to create this app and the API and, um, you know, and the, the approach was to either return JSON or HTML based on the accepts header. So, and there was like, I was like, "Mm, that makes, it makes a ton of sense because you're, you can crank through it a lot faster. You don't have to, uh, you know, you don't have to build a, um, like a freestanding client and a freestanding API. They're kind of one in the same. Right. There's, you know, but it's not normally the way I think about things. And I was like, I was like, I'm not sure if this is bothering me because I'm not used to it or because like I couldn't put my finger on it. And then later it sort of occurred to me what, what was bothering me. And I don't think I mentioned it in the episode. No, I don't think you did. Cause I had a, I had a couple of reservations myself at first. Mm. The thing that bothers, the thing that that I realized really bothers me about it is you're locked mm-hmm. into using the same exact URL structure for the client and for the API. Oh, okay. I don't like that. Yeah. So as yeah. soon as you make like, because I remember saying in the, I think we said in the episode when we talked about it, I was like, well, that works great for your first client, but I wonder what the second client would be like. And that, right. and that's the problem. Right. Which yeah. is that you're stuck with that, uh, like if you look at if you look at one if you know go to and uh, Happy Docs and look at any one of the APIs we we've got for the more complicated apps you'd never be able to build a client using just the URLs that are available. No, right. No, you'd have to you'd have to have others others as well. Right. And what I I, ha- I in fact I have a couple of others in um just in Moodly. Oh really? And for for those I just don't return just don't return JSON for those um, URLs. Gotcha. But um yeah it's. I, I, you are limited to the same URL structure, and again, it's you know it's like I like I got back to before where you have instead of putting it in the request header, you put the uh, file extension for the format you want in the URL. Is I, I don't like that because it messes with the whole the whole notion of of using the URLs to represent the relationships between data models. Yeah, I I, I agree with you that I'm I'm not a fan about. Of the the dot XML or dot HTML or dot JSON, I, I do not like yeah. that at all. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like I feel like what what you're saying is it's kind of the same thing. It's, well, I I don't like it. For, I don't like those from just a, a uh, aesthetic standpoint. Yeah. Um. The if you were doing, 
I don't mind it as much with JSON and XML because you're not, I suppose you could be, well, I was going to say, I suppose you could be like, you know, uh, uh, using XSLT to style your HTML into a web, your XML into a web page, but does anybody, I don't think anybody does that. Yeah, anymore. who does that anymore? Uh, you know, masochists. Did anyone other than Microsoft ever do it to begin with? I mean, it was a nice idea, but come on. And yeah, I, I played with it. Yeah, it was a nice idea, but it doesn't work. So anyway, yeah, I think if you're re returning, it's it gets back to the marketing department for me. Mm -hmm. If the marketing department's going to have a say in it, I want it disconnected from the API so so that the developers can do the right thing in the API and keep it nice and clean. And the marketing department can fight about the page flow and, you know, what widgets go on what page. And they can give you that information and say, hey, here, they can it's basically, yeah. that can be visited on you from from the top of the mountain. <laughs> yeah, so the so the, the functionality of the API is not tied to the URL structure of the, of the client. Exactly. Yeah, makes, makes a lot of sense. Right, so it makes sense to me to have, to, to make data interchange formats interchangeable like xml or json or you know but uh and but still i wouldn't do that in the url i i just just right. from an aesthetic standpoint i like that better in the headers right i do too so cool you also mentioned you had a crazy idea that you wanted to I, talk about i did have a crazy idea i like it already <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking the other day um about uh, i guess a, like a rabble type um, chat interface. Mm -hmm. um, but instead of being powered by a node server on the back end, just have it have it tie in directly with uh, like an IRC server. Okay. And then we got to talking about load balancing API servers. Okay. And so then I got to thinking about um, like like the IRC protocol. Yeah, it handles handles things like like. Um, splits and network connectivity and things like that fairly well mm -hmm. uh, you know as far as balancing load out to the connected irc servers and then if servers become disconnected then they automatically reconnect and you know everything sort of kind of syncs back up there interesting and and then i thought well you know what about using that sort of you know like sort of what about hacking that protocol as a means of like transferring other types of data hmm Oh, but, I think but again, I see where you're going. Yeah, yeah, I can kind of see where I'm going with it. But again, the, you know, the big problem there is you know, it's it's not stateless. Mm. Because you have a, a user session that would like it. Like you would need to need to negotiate that connection. Well, I don't know. I mean, I mean, maybe it maybe it could be. I don't know. But, it kind of reminds me of the HTTP over email idea. Yeah, it's kind of kind of like your your HTTP over email is my um my my rest over IRC. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I don't know enough about IRC to even have an opinion about that. Like I I think I've used uh, IRC like twice. Yeah, um, like I used to I used to run a couple of servers um, with some friends, but I was I was not at the point technically then where I was doing things like digging into the code behind it. Yeah. It's but um <clears throat> It's an interesting thought though. Like what about what about other protocols instead of yeah. HTTP? 
Right. Like, what about XMPP? I mean, that's not that's not ro- got the robustness that you're looking for. That's like on or off. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, but I mean, you know, it does it. Ha- it doesn't have to be an HTTP protocol. Yeah. Right. I wonder if I think I. Th- I don't know, but I think REST <laughs> is specifically for HTTP. Right, I right. I think the original fielding uh, dissertation or whatever it was was about HTTP, yeah. and that that that's like HTTP is set up for that for like distributed right. computing. Yeah, I mean, I, I do. I agree. HTTP is set up for for the REST protocol, but when you're talking about APIs and transferring data around and things like that, you know, there's no, you know, it doesn't doesn't necessarily have to be. HTTP, and there's no reason that's, well, I mean, I say there's no reason. There probably is, but there's probably probably other cases where there's not any good reason why you couldn't apply REST principles to some other protocol. Right. Yes. And that's kind of like, that's what's um, got me, got my gears turning because it's like, hmm, because the principles of REST are, maybe I'm just too far into HTTP and maybe I'm just so used to it that it feels like they're kind of universal. Mm-hmm. Maybe if I looked at another protocol, I'd be like, oh, REST totally wouldn't work over this. Yeah. But it feels like it would. I mean, the the core concept of, to me, the core concept of REST is that you've got uniquely identifiable resources mm-hmm. that are available over a network, and you you basically apply verbs to them. And HTTP is nice because it already has a, you know, it's it's been thoroughly thought through. It's got a set of verbs that make sense for, you know, digital resources. They're very practical. It's time tested. Um, so, so like, wow, geez, what if, uh, what would another protocol, I mean, what would another protocol, using another protocol, what would it add that HTTP doesn't do? Right. So like IRC, it sounds like it would add this sort of like self-healing, asynchronous offline kind of thing. Right. I'm thinking sort of the sort of the, the self-healing, and I mean, you would well like one of the one of the things like for instance, if you're on an IRC network, and I'm on one server and you're on another server, you know, we can you know we talk to each other real time. Mm-hmm. Everything works great. Those servers, one of those servers becomes disconnected from the network. Maybe I can't talk to you, but I can still talk to other people that are connected to that server. Mm-hmm. And then it rejoins the network, and we can talk again. So, so maybe maybe you could have your application, you know, your API still running and functional. And then when things sync back up, you know, you just somehow do a data sync. Mm. It you are raising a an interesting point, which is that. You know, which is about the the offline problem. Mm-hmm. But I, jeez, th- oh, it seems to me though the offline problem is is between the leaf node that's in the end user's pocket and the and not probably between two servers that are in data centers on the internet. Yeah, so, yeah, I don't know. So I mean, yeah. Again, this would be this would be like for something where you had multiple servers and they potentially become disconnected from one another and that mm. that kind of thing. Mm. So it, it doesn't doesn't really address the offline problem. 
for the end unless user. you're unless your client is somehow running a, a you know somehow running a server locally exactly right that, and, and, that and then you like, get into like you well just use couch db <laughs> <laughs> i that's that's funny you say that because i don't i don't get couch db like i've i've tried or years ago when it was first announced i was like oh, this sounds mm-hmm. really interesting like and i would try and get it set up locally and it absolutely never worked and and then I said, you know what? I'm going to wait until this is ready for prime time. Yeah, I, I've never done anything with it, but I'm I'm told that's what it's for. So, is it? It's like because it's it's an Apache project, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. And it's it's supposed to provide some kind of like offline scenario. Yeah, and like offline scenario, and then kind of easily asynchronously sync data. Hmm. That sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of like, I, I don't know who I was talking to the other day. I was probably teaching a training class and I was like, you know, there's this offline problem with it. You know, oh, that's what it was. I was teaching a training class and the, the last half of the second day is about building offline web apps. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I kind of start off by saying, you know, like the... Obviously, you know, we're talking about these mobile phones, they're not always online. Sometimes you're offline. And in most cases, the solution is to not write a billion lines of code, you know, to store everything on the phone and then do this massive sync mechanism after the fact and, you know, check some the the changes. And all. the solution is to get, yeah. get online. You know, like, yeah, the, the problem isn't that there's no offline solution. The problem is that you're offline. <laughs> So yeah. that said, I realize that there are lots of use cases where you are, you know, where it's, you know, the, the classic case, you know, you're a facilities manager and the whole point of the application you're using or the web application, web app or native app that you're using is that uh, you're, you're going to be in this giant concrete bunker and there's, you're for sure going to be offline. Or we do a lot of work in the cruise industry and there, there are a lot of times they are offline. Yeah. So until that is until that is over, there's still this offline issue of like what's the right way to store data locally and um, you know and send it up to a server later and make all those changes later. I don't think there's one perfect way to do it because it always seems like yeah. it depends on the app and the user expectations and because it's a really it's a really squirrely thing. Yeah, some some apps just being having read access to your data offline is fine. Other apps you may need to make an entry or record something. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like like the Boston Globe you, dot com. You can store sites for offline viewing, which makes perfect sense because they probably have people you know riding the subways, reading the morning paper on their phone mm-hmm. or on the tablet, and it makes perfect sense. But you know, are you a lot? You know, you, they don't have Boston Globe writers making. You know, what I mean, like writing the paper from the train i'm sure but then if you got this sort of facilities thing where people are you know they're going around and like i don't know like maintenance guys in an apartment building they're supposed to go around and like take pictures of you know apartments that have just been vacated and like oh we need to fix the paint stripping here and we need to clean up this floor and you know they're probably not going to be connected to a wi-fi network so okay, great, store all these records locally. They've been created locally. No one else is going to be editing them because they're not in the system yet, so that's probably fine. 
but what about edits? What about records that were stored offline that get edited by two different people? Is that disallowed? Is it, is there, are there some rules set up where this person always clobbers this person's records or what? Yeah. Like, well, we had, we had discussed that a while ago with an app that we were, we were doing some, just some design work on, mm. um, where you could potentially add a resource that like a photo or something or, or, or an event. And then someone would be able to comment on that or, or sign up and say, Hey, yeah, I'll do this. And you know, like, Oh, there's a, there's a party on Sunday and say, Oh yeah, I'll bring cookies mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yep. And there's, then... there's a lot of interaction back and forth between people. Right. And that's a, that's a great example because the, because, um, you've got an initial post of, you say it's an event, you know, an event, there's going to be this birthday party in the, you know, at the, the Goddard park. Uh, can somebody bring, can everybody be potluck? Let me know what you want to bring. And then a bunch of people make comments on that initial post. And those are new records in a different table, but who owns the data? Like it's, it's almost like those right. comments become sub objects of the main original event. Should the, what happens if the initial person changes the event or deletes it? Or should they be able to, or shouldn't they be able to? Yeah. It doesn't, uh, it depends on the app. I don't think there's ever one, uh, one way to do it. No, I mean, I can, I can tell you off the top of my head in, in a scenario like that, what I think should happen. But then again, your app may be, you know, the goal of your app may be something entirely different. Hmm. So, you know. Yeah, we had, I, I had a situation, this is a good one. I had a situation, <clears throat> multi-user applications, a photo sharing app before Facebook, before, you know, it was right after the iPhone came out. It was really difficult to share photos. So me and a couple other guys put together this, uh, this application that would allow you to uh, take pictures and email them to um, a central address, and then it would parse out the, the image from the body, and it would parse out the subject line, and that would become your comment. And it would post it on this website <clears throat> based on your the, the from address. And uh, it was pretty sweet. Uh, but what happened was, you know, sooner or later you end up with trolls and they yeah. post in porn. So it was like, okay. Um, then we were like, well, I don't really, first of all, it was, it was enough traffic that I couldn't watch everything anyway. Right. And I didn't even want to be in a position to decide what, the community thought porn was, you know, like, is that too racy? Is that too racy? Cause it was a pretty wide range of people. Mm-hmm. So we put a, you know, we, I added a flag button and, uh, and then, okay, great. So then people would flag images and it wouldn't actually put, it would actually replace the image with an American flag. <laughs> and if you wanted, nice. yeah. And if you wanted to, and certain people were allowed to just, there were certain admin level people that had been there from the beginning and they were allowed like one click. If, if, if Betty flags it, that thing is going down. Right. And it wouldn't remove the image. It just, it would just put the, the flag over it. And if you really wanted to see it, it was like you basically, it was understood that it was not safe for work and you would, yeah. you could still see it. I like that this image has been flagged. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty clever. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So then what ended up, then, you know, trolls being trolls, they were like, ah, well, meh, meh. now what am I going to do? Now I'm going to yeah. swear in the comments on other people's pictures. Yeah. So people would get into these fights in the comment threads and, and it was like, all right, now what do we do? And, uh, so, you know, I was like, well, let's use this flagging thing again. So, so if people, so but what, what happened was that 
people would have this thread going and it would they'd be fighting and the, those threads always got really long really fast mm-hmm. so there'd be all these people fighting and then someone finally like flag the original comment or block you could also block users they block the user mm-hmm. and it's like well what do you do because if you just take those comments out of the thread the thread makes no sense anymore right so right. should i just delete all the other comments too or like all the comments after the first blocked one it was like it was really weird yeah yeah when you block users are you gonna are you blocking anything that's said in response to to them or yeah mm-hmm. and then it came down and then we were thinking like oh well maybe the person who originally posted the image should be allowed to like delete comments and then i was like yeah ah. like moderate the comment thread for that image yeah, exactly. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, this is getting really complicated. It's a stupid photo sharing app. It's like, you know, <laughs> you just want to like, you can see why Facebook went with likes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, and in fact, Facebook, I the other day, I uh, I posted uh, a status update on Facebook and, the, and I had a typo in it. And I was like, that drives me nuts. So I went back to fix it and, um, and I was like, and I couldn't fix it. It like wouldn't. There was no way to edit it. And I was like, "Damn! Yeah. I would have sworn there was a way to edit status updates on Facebook." And it turns out that you can edit them until someone comments on it. Yeah. And someone had and, already, and then you can't. Yeah, and then they lock it down. Which I I've totally been there mentally, and I can understand why they did that. Because mm-hmm. if somebody you know people make all these comments, and then you go changing this little post, all of a sudden it, inv- it makes no sense. Yeah, it invalidates. And actually, actually, we um, we ran into that. Um, I do some work every now and then on uh, OS Ticket, mm-hmm. and we occasionally have people, you know, they request the ability to edit, edit um, responses to tickets and what have you. Mm-hmm. And it's just, again, it's it's the same thing. It's like, well, if I edit your response, then that's going to invalidate all the responses that came after. Right. And. And, and there too, you know. In addition to that, we also have notifications, like email alerts and that sort of thing. Yes. So those are. So it's like already carved in stone, basically. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the and what I did on the Facebook site is basically what you have to do, which is, I think, in general, is you just if you are the person who posted something that you want to edit, you just have to add another comment that's like, oh, I meant to type this. Yeah. That or or you delete it and start over. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, right. But then it's like, well, <laughs> who owns the content? You know, why I should be able should should I as a as a Facebook or OS ticket user should I not be able to go and see all the things I've ever commented on? <laughs> so I I can't remember the application, but there was one where um, we had kind of like a it was almost like a garbage collection mechanism, mm-hmm. where if you deleted something, you basically omitted it from your view but everybody else could still see it mm. until no until everybody had deleted it and then it was actually deleted. So if if anybody was watching it, it, it was basically like reference counting. Yeah. So if, you know, uh what oh, it's 12:25. So I have this uh I have this um uh years ago, the in fact the way I learned how to do PHP development was by building this site called 12:25. And uh, it lets people, you can go in, it's wicked ugly, if, dear listener, if you go to it. <laughs> it's, it's from it the is, 90s. he's not kidding. It's from the 90s. But the thing works great. Someday I'll redo it. Um, no, someday I'll redo it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's, yeah, that's a long story. But anyway, the, 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 the thing is you create these, there's like you have a list of people and you have a list of groups. 
And the, the concept is that, you know, you've got all of these people in your family and extended family and blended families, and they're going to have probably different holiday parties. Like you might have a uh, uh, Christmas party. Like I'll just use myself as an example. So we celebrate Christmas and I've got uh, my parents are divorced. My father's remarried. Uh, I've got Erica's family and, and there's like a lot of, you know, so, so Erica, myself and Cooper are going to buy for and be bought for in like uh, about five different family groups. Yeah. And there's a lot of overlap between the people. Cause like, you know, like everybody that's in my immediate family, except for my stepsisters are going to be at my mother's for Christmas and everybody, including my stepsisters are going to be at my father's. Right. So you, you can't just make one Christmas list and because my mother is not going to coordinate with my sister's father, my, my stepsister's natural <laughs> yeah. father. Right, right. They, they don't even, they've never met. So they're not going to be like, oh, I'll buy the uh, the coloring books for the for Cooper. So it's like, so it was, we were like, what the hell? You know, like everyone's asking for these Christmas lists. So I can't just send it out because I'm going to end up with yeah. like four. I've only got four things on my list. I'm going to end up with 10 of the first thing. Right, right. You can't give everybody the same list. <laughs> yeah. So that's when I, so I was like, I was like created this site and then, you know, so people can, um, so what happens is you, you go in and create a group. You, first of all, you create all the people, you know, that's usually in an initial group. So like your immediate family and various other people, mm-hmm. and then you group them into different groups. It's just like Google circles or like, you know, any other kind of app like this. And, and you just have one wish list and but what's the sweet part of it is that as people are um, uh, buying you things off the list, no matter who they are, no matter what group they're in, mm-hmm. they comment on your list and they say, I bought them the, I bought them the, uh, whatever, the Nikes. Yeah. So everybody, regardless, and you can even do it anonymously. So you can say, nobody, I call the Nikes, I'm buying the Nikes. Yeah. So, and nobody knows who it is. Right. And I can't, of course, I can't see the secrets that are on my wish list. I can see right. secrets on everybody else's except for mine. So that was just a, so the thing is, if you delete someone from a group, it's, even if you created them, it doesn't actually delete them from the system. It just removes them from that group. Right. Because they're still not going to need to be able to see lists. Yeah. Until they're in nobody's list. Well, see the other, the other complication is there's lots of like little kids and old people who don't actually use the site. Mm-hmm. So they have like uh guardians basically yeah so that you'll have like uh so like erica and i are allowed to manage cooper's list but he's never gonna log in right although he's getting pretty good on the ipad (laughs) (laughs) but he's never gonna log in but if i if i like removed from a group he'd still be i don't know like if erica and i were split up or something he'd still be in everybody else's groups it wouldn't delete him even though you know i actually deleted him right it would seem like so anyway, just a real, it's a long, that was, that was a long story just to, just to be like. About the day, the day John deleted his son. <laughs> Oopsie. Oops. Where's the undo? <laughs> so that's the, the, the thing, the question that gets raised is, and the reason why, wow, this goes all the way back to the reason why syncing data is brutal is because the rules are different for every application. It's so like, you can't even like say who owns the app. Yeah. I mean, who owns the the app? The, who the owns the data in the app? Yeah, it's like whose data is this? Yeah. Like, yeah, what happens so. when Cooper turns fifteen or whatever, and he does, and he can log into stuff? 
now is all the same. Right. Does he like, have how, access to all the old data or? Yeah. Does, does he have to create a new account? Like, how does that work? Yeah. It's crazy. Yes, it is. And it's like you said, when syncing offline data, it's, you know, you have to handle it on a case by case basis. So it's really hard to come up with a good solution. Just like, like a boilerplate solution that you can apply to an app. Right. Absolutely. The, the one pattern that I, has served me very well, I've been extremely happy with, is um, creating globally unique identifiers everywhere instead of using sequential yes. numbers. Yes. That's huge. Yes. Now, we actually have one API that we're, we're building right now where I have done both. Oh, really? I, yeah. And in fact, I, I may have never even mentioned this to you. <laughs> but um, it's the it's the one of the projects we're working on with Infinum, mm-hmm. and um, actually that that API has I'm using indexed sequential indexes at the database level as far as you know for for doing things like searching and and indexing data, mm-hmm. but then I also do give everything a um, a global unique identifier for you know for looking it up client side. Interesting. Yeah, I'm a. It makes the URLs pretty ugly, and it's a little bit tough to when you're having to debug stuff because mm-hmm. they're so long. But it's awesome to to not have to worry about collisions or or do stuff like this like horrible two step sync thing where you've you've created sequential IDs on the client, and also you know then it, you write it to the server, and you're like you have a field for like client ID that's empty for yeah. some records and not for others, and then you have to yeah. like market as synced and you know it's just a disaster yeah exactly then the only reason i'm doing both is because um uh active record works much much nicer with sequential ids hmm. that's interesting why would it care uh, i don't know <laughs> um but i i remember i had this had actually had this discussion with wyatt when we were first initially setting it up because i was wanting Wanting his thoughts on how to to make active to use active record with the um, the GUIDs mm-hmm. because it's it's not set up for that by default and and his advice was you know add add the GUIDs in addition to the sequential ID you 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 know you kind of really don't just want to oh you know, I see what you mean just them I see what you mean so like active record tries to it just tries to, it doesn't want you to mess with that it tries to handle it it wants to handle it itself yeah. What, like on create, I mean. Yeah. Mm, interesting. So that that brings up uh, a point that we had that we've chatted about. I don't think we've talked about it on the show, which is if a record is created on the client side offline, and we give it a globally unique identifier, which can we all just agree is pronounced Guid? Because <laughs> <laughs> I love saying Guid. <laughs> it's Italian. I'm from Rhode Island, so uh, anyway, so. Um, <laughs> So if you, if, if you, the record, it's a, the question in my mind is like, when is the resource alive? (laughs) Yes. You know, when is it birthed? If it's created on the client, I, I say it's in the system, even though it hasn't made it through the API to the, to the server side database. It still exists. It exists. It's a record. So, uh, if you. Even yeah, so this is weird. Even though it can't be requested by everybody, it exists somewhere. It just hasn't made it there yet. Yeah. So, um, the problem is 
that that doesn't jibe very well with rest because you should post it to create it in the API so that the API is aware of it. But really, if the record already exists, you're you're updating it. You're just moving. You're not even doing it. You're copying it. Yeah. And there's no verb for that. And there and it's like, I want to send... It's kind of like I want to post, but also send an ID, which you're not supposed to do with post. Yeah, it's kind of... But then if you do it a put request, and there's like the then the API is going to come back and, oh, this, this record doesn't exist. Right. So I ended up... I'm, and I'm not happy with this, but what I ended up doing is um, I used put request for everything. Mm-hmm. And if and it's it's either, uh, you know, what's the SQL statement? It's like um, on duplicate key, you know, like... like On in, duplicate key insert or... Yeah, something On like duplicate that. key update. On duplicate key update, right. So insert on duplicate key update. And, and so basically when you are... In this particular application, absolutely every record is created offline. It doesn't talk to the. It doesn't talk directly to um, <laughs> meow. To my cat. <laughs> yeah, he's like throwing himself at the door trying to get in. Mister. It. Uh, yeah. The the records are all created offline in the local local storage, and uh, and at login and logout, a sync is done. So. Yeah. They're created. I don't want to create them over again. I don't want to create new IDs, but they don't exist in the API database, but that's not their fault. <laughs> you know, they're just in the wrong place. So it's almost like you want to, you want a, a move, like you want to move verb, you know, like move this record from here to there. I don't know. Cause the thing is you don't, you never, I never know. Cause then what happens is this, I, I push all of the, the records that were created locally. I push them up. And then I and then I sync. I download everything that has been created uh, by me and also potentially by other people. So now I get a fresh data set that I can use offline. Mm-hmm. So now I don't know which records are are you know. And then I go about my day and maybe right. I create some you new records. But I don't know. I don't know which ones are which ones have been sent to the server or not. And frankly, as a developer, I don't want to care. Right. Right. <laughs> it shouldn't matter. It doesn't matter. The records created. It's right there. Yeah, the server the server is basically just a you know, it's like a backup of data or for getting fresh data from other clients. Right, and and the dear listener is probably thinking, oh, just set flags or like timestamps and like all of that stuff is wrong. It doesn't end well. <laughs> you can't care. You know what I mean? It, it it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter. You have to make it set up so it doesn't matter. And so using guides, as I like to call them. <laughs> Weeds are your salvation <laughs> in this in this situation. So all, all hail the mighty weed. <laughs> now we're title fishing, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So anyway, I don't think there's there's still there's no one solution that's for sure. And in fact, in all in most applications, I wouldn't automatically default to writing everything locally. Uh, it just so happens I can do that in this case. And, yeah. You know. Yeah, a lot of a lot of applications really wouldn't allow for it. Yeah. So again, again, it comes back to it. <laughs> you have to do it on an app by app basis. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, giving everything a <laughs> giving everything agreed. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. That is fun. <laughs> Problem is, I do it in meetings, and it's like I forget. <laughs> People look at you weird. Yeah. What? <laughs> 
yeah, no, that that does, you know, how else are you going to keep things separate? You, know, you can't you can't assign you can't assign sequ- sequential IDs to things that are going to need to be synced back and forth. I mean, you can at the database level, but at the client level, uh, not going to happen. Yeah, the client the client does not does not need the the index ID in the database ever and you know, it does not need to create it it does not need to read it and in fact in in this API that that we built where I use both um, the client never sees what the index IDs are in the database that are used for you know creating relationships and, and indexing tables mm. so I did a quick search on Stack Overflow and it turns out that GUID is Microsoft's implementation of UUID Oh yeah, we're we're totally gonna have to change our pronunciation there. Yeah, but how do you pronounce U U I D? Uid. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's not nearly as fun. No, Guid's way better. Yeah. I'm sticking with Guid. So. God, that reminded me of something else, but now it's escaped my. Lost it. Yeah, lost it. Yeah, things are. Things are crazy here. <laughs> As you can probably the hear. The cat, the dogs. I got yeah, I, I, just Cooper just woke up upstairs. Yeah. yeah. I apologize now for all the editing you'll have to do to get a clean audio track. No, I won't bother. It started out so nice. <laughs> then everyone came home. Yeah. Well, it's tonight's Halloween. We're recording on Halloween, yeah, it's, and it's uh, it is. the kids are excited. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what it is. My, my daughter has, um, I don't know, I've put like countless hours into her costume. Oh, yeah. Is going that... out tonight. Yeah, she's she's never, never had a store-bought costume. Nice. Is that, Does that explain the uh, spray painting the cardboard broadsword? Yes. Yes, actually it does. <laughs> so she's going as a... She is, um, are you familiar with the, like, the Legend of Zelda video games? Yeah, sort of. I mean, I've heard of it. Sort of. She, she has, has a, a Link costume. A what? Like, the main, the main character from the game. Ah. Well, there you go. Cool. Well, pictures are didn't happen. Yeah, I'll have to send you some pictures. Cool. All right, so we should probably wrap it. Yeah, we need to get ready to go go hunt some candy. <laughs> exactly. Yep, we're going to have uh, some quick pizza while Erica mans the candy bowl and I take the little monster out. <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't have any like there's a few kids in our neighborhood but none of, none of them trick or treat here. Mm. Like we live quite a ways out of town, everybody goes downtown, which is where we're going. There's like there's like a 5 block area downtown that's you can go and and come back with like 10 pounds of candy. Nice. That sounds efficient. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We have friends that go to. Uh, they are sort of in a spread out area as well, so they go to this like. Uh, it's almost like, you know, when you like drive by a, a Chili's or something, and they're having like a classic car show. Mm-hmm. There's like a bunch of dudes just bring down their cars and like they slick their hair back, and like yeah. just stand around with the hoods open and they talk about the cars. Yeah. It's kind of like that. They just go to a parking lot, but instead of open up the hoods, they open up the trunks. 
Oh yeah, and they're all decorated. And... Yeah, they decorate the trunks, yeah. and they and they you know everybody goes around to the different cars and they pass out candy, and it's it's called trunk or treat. Yeah, <laughs> I think there are a couple of places here that do that, but and actually there is um there's a big Halloween party here that um that we boycott boycott on principle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's put on it's put on by one of the um. Oh, it's the organization here that does like the anti-drug education in school and stuff like that, mm-hmm. which I'm all for. I'm totally all for. But their um, their premise is that we need to offer this Halloween party as an alternative, as a safe alternative, because it's not safe to go out trick or treating, uh, which is total bull. <laughs> yeah, like it's just as safe as it ever was. Yeah, and so you know we kind of kind of skip it on principle. Yeah. And and Kira Kira admits that she would much rather go running around the neighborhood. Oh yeah. Then you know. Come on. Like, it was like the what's best the, day like of the you year. go to a, you go to a gym and you walk around in a circle and people hand you candy. Yeah, you go to the school that you go to every day. Yeah. No thanks. Yeah. It's like, no, she'll just go. You know, run up and down the streets at night getting candy. Yeah. God, I know. I mean, it's one of those. It's like bike helmets. There's no going yeah. back. Like I think I have the stuff I did. It would it would give me a heart attack for Cooper to do now, but you know, <laughs> I I'm not brain dead. Well, yeah, it's like it's like I got I got him get some kind of kind of I don't know people. Some people kind of looked at me kind of weird when she came in last summer and like, got a pool noodle out of the shed in the backyard and got on her bike and I was like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "We're gonna go joust." <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, have fun. Yeah, I mean, I can remember I I. There's like no end to the memories. I could I could give you a dozen memories that should have landed me in the hospital permanently. Yeah. Well, since we're talking about me, I can give you a dozen memories that did land me in the hospital. But... <laughs> yeah, that's just from last week. <laughs> yeah, just from last week. <laughs> oh God. I I still have scars from my childhood, but. Well, I mean, everybody does, right? Yeah. It's like that's the that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, well. And with that, dear listener, <laughs> we will bid you adieu. Yes. Yes, may you, may you, well, this Halloween will be over by the time this is published. I know. Hopefully you're not, hopefully you don't have a stomach ache. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know what we have to do tonight? Mm. When you're, after you're, um, after you're done, mm-hmm. uh, we did this last year and it was super popular with like our family. I, I we probably Facebook or like on Twitter, take all the candy out. Cause you're supposed to like go through the candy. Yeah. And we laid it out on the table in order of importance. So like, Oh yeah. 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 So you like the best candy at the top all the way down to the worst candy and then take a picture of it and post it on either Facebook or Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, who got the most full size candy bars? Yeah, and who? Well, the and the thing, the funny thing for us was that we started this huge fight about what the best candy bars were. Yeah, I was like, you think Baby Ruth is better than Butterfinger? You're crazy. No, it's it's totally the full size Snickers is at the top, and then at the bottom you have like the raisins. No way, full size Snickers are gross. No. That's, that's na- oh, that's nasty. <laughs> Baby Ruth. Yeah. Well, I was just I don't. That's not my favorite either. I would I would say Kit Kat. Or Nestle, no. Nestle's Crunch. Yeah, I'm a crunchy. No. I'm a crunchy no, candy I'm, bar guy. I'm I'm not a Kit Kat fan. Oh, you can you can have all the Kit Kats. We're in a fight. Twix. Twix, Twix is. Twix are near the top. Okay, so we've got that common ground. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
so that's our show for this yeah. week. Hang up now. <laughs> I'm Jonathan Stark. I'm Kelly Shaver. We hope you join us again next week for the Niche Podcast. See you later. Bye.